0: hi this is ellie fishman and welcome back to the coronary arteries and we're going to pick up last where we left off last time we mentioned about coronary artery anomalies and anomalies are not that uncommon when you're doing cardiac ct of course one thing is that many of the anomalies are just really variations. so for example here here's one of the variations where the conus branch arises directly off the right cusp instead of off the right coronary artery Not a very important anomaly, but something easy to recognize and very common, or at least not uncommon. And you can see it very nicely as we look at the volume rendered views. Uh, Volume rendering works very nicely when you're looking at complex anomalies, and we spoke about that before. The patient's SA nodal branch can come off two different areas. The most common is this appearance where it's coming off the right coronary and then branching posteriorly next to the ascending aorta. The other appearance is on the next slide where it's coming off the patient's circumflex. And this is the second most common. The second, uh, This version actually at times can be a bit confusing in the sense when you look at it very quickly, you wonder if this patient has an anomalous circumflex or anomalous right coronary, just the fact something is passing behind the aorta and between the aorta and left atrium but it's just a a SA nodal branch which is a normal variation okay what else here's a good example Um, again global perspective first and the question is where is the uh, patient's circumflex arising from and we'll track down a little bit and you can see here as you're looking from above down, you can see the left anterior descending or left main portion, you see the right coronary, but then off the right coronary there's a vessel that's tracking posteriorly, beautifully seen here between the aorta and left atrium, and that's the uh, circumflex arising off the uh, right coronary artery. Remember, things that pass posteriorly are not going to be those that uh, tend to get trapped, and it's going to be a non-malignant anomaly, very nicely shown there. Another anomaly, here's just a simple variation where the patient's LAD and the patient's circumflex arise directly off the left cusp. There's no left main coronary artery. I guess the good news there is you have really good blood flow. Uh, You don't worry about the left main narrowing. Now, of course we can see anomalies of each of that those vessels so for example here when you look quickly you see the patient's left main you see the LAD and then you see a vessel that's going in front of the uh, ascending aorta uh, and pulmonary artery and you wonder what is that and you look at it a bit more carefully and it's coming literally right to left as you follow it down and what you're really dealing with, and it's best shown on the 3D images, you're dealing with two left coronary arteries. One, the LAD coming off the left main, nicely shown. And here's the LAD coming off the right coronary. Just beautifully how it tracks from the right side to the left side. It's coming anterior to the aorta and pulmonary arteries. So it's not going to be of any clinical significance in terms of uh, being a malignant type configuration. Very nice example. Now, the ones you worry about are those malignant configurations. And here's a nice example. You can see the patient's right coronary artery is arising off the left cusp, just where the left main coronary artery takes off. And you see it's tracking anteriorly between the ascending aorta and the main pulmonary outflow track. And you can see it a little bit better also as we move to this image and you can see that it's really pinched. And just think about it with exercise, with the heart contracting, the vessel gets pinched and you get decreased flow and that's why you can get sudden death or arrhythmias, which can lead to sudden death. It's this appearance, this pinching that is most critical, why the coronary will need to be reimplanted. But just a very nice visualization. So things that track in this intraarterial course are the things that are going to be of most concern. Another example, what about this case? You see a vessel coming off the left cusp and here's just another example of the right coronary arising off the left cusp. Again, here tracking anteriorly between main pulmonary artery, ascending aorta, and these are the ones you're gonna worry about. Another image, again, when you start looking at these, they tend to look the same. Again, the view from above is really the easiest view. So one of the things to remember is when you're evaluating the coronary arteries, always look at the origin of the vessels. Make certain you see every vessel origin and that it's not anomalous. And that's the easiest thing to do when you get started on the study. Make sure the right's coming off the right cusp, the left's coming from the left cusp, the uh, branching is correct, and there are no anomalous vessels as shown nicely in this case. And here's one more set of images. You also can see here very nicely that the right coronary thing is off the sa nodal branch. But again, very easy to recognize as long as you use some sort of a systematic approach. Now, there are many other anomalies that are present or can be present, and that'll be the subject of another lecture. Now, I mentioned in terms of processing that curved planar reconstructions are particularly important when we look at the patient's coronary arteries because you know, the concept of a vessel being ectatic and being hard to follow, particularly if you're trying to measure stenosis, and no matter how many axial planes you get or even sagittal coronal planes, it's just impossible to really stretch that vessel out, which is something you can do when you're looking at a curved planar reconstruction. And although the original articles on curved planar were for the pancreatic duct, it's really in the coronary arteries that they found their uh, best use. And you can see here very nicely, it's easy to open up the coronary arteries. In this case, you can see LAD stenosis by non-calcified plaque. All of the different software programs that do computer analysis of the coronaries use the curved planar because it's the most reproducible, it has the least inter variability, and it really can open up the vessel, and you can see very nicely here. And in this software program, what you actually do is pick the area you believe is the greatest stenosis, uh, put a mark anteriorly to it, and distal to it. And then the computer generates the stenosis. Now, it looks pretty easy. And I will say that when you look at the articles in the literature, it shows that these results are not very reproducible or very accurate. So I do it sometimes, but I have to admit, I eyeball it or just look at the measurements myself. I do not use the computer-generated programs because, as I said, these have been fraught with error. But again, I think it's one of the areas where things are improving now when you look for coronary artery stenosis you can see here here sort of on a 3d volume rendered as well as mip you can see that LAD stenosis and it shows it nicely and what you'd want to do of course is look at things in cross section as well use the curved planar reconstructions and you can see when you have the cross section um if you, when you see it in cross section you can see very nicely the uh, non-calcified plaque present, and you see the vessel lumen, but you see this greater than a 50% stenosis. And again, you could lay it out with different views, Uh, shows it the same on every single view. Here's the MIP. Here it is with the computer-generated program as well. So again, very nice example. Or in this case, with a more severe stenosis. Now here we're dealing with areas of calcified plaque, we're also dealing with non-calcified plaque. When we start laying the vessel out and looking through the various images, we see that Q3, which I have marked here being the area of most stenosis. Again, there is a challenge with calcification, the potential to overcall or undercall the degree of uh, stenosis present. So you need to be very careful. Intuitive reconstruction can be helpful in this regard, but you'll analyze the vessel, look at it very carefully, and then make your decision. Now, in terms of stenosis, we typically do not go around saying 46% or 72%. There are several different ways of doing it. Here's one from Ella Casarunia, Michigan, talking about normal, minimal, mild, moderate, severe, and talking about under 25%, 26 to 50, 51 to 70, 71 to 99, and occlusion at 100%. Some people use under 50, 50 to 70, and 70 to, let's say, 100. Uh, so again, it depends what you use. Your institution uh, tends to favor one over the other, but it basically gives the same information. We use that 50, 70, 100. Typically under 50, they're going to treat medically. 50 to 70, that they may do angiography or just watch. Over 70, something will definitely be done. Now I mentioned before about the computers, and uh, here's a good article to answer the question about Dickers. The purpose of their study was to investigate the non-invasive quantification of coronary artery stenosis using various software platforms, using Phantoms, and they measured things, and manual stenosis measurements are more accurate compared with automated measurements, and they're still the essential key way of doing coronary artery stenosis. Interobserver and intraobserver variability for detection of coronary stenosis on CTA is good and justifies routine clinical use. Presence of non eccentric calcified and mixed plaque are important cause of disagreement. So we know that. In a vessel without calcification, it's much easier to be accurate. Again, that dense calcification, over um, overcalling and undercalling become an issue. Same article by nickel. Segmental agreement for stenosis, 50% or greater, and 70% or greater was greater than 96%. Disagreements were more likely in the presence of non-eccentric calcification, but both intra-observer and interobserver observer measurements. And that's what every other article since then has shown as well. Now, in terms of this automated plaque uh, characterization. There is some new work going on. Uh, Day uh, published this article, and we're actually working on this software ourselves, which actually allows better quantification. They compared it to IVIS and got very good results, almost one to one. And this uh, study also does a good job of quantifying non calcified plaque. And to date, you know, you think about the Agassiz score, that's quantification of calcified plaque. Uh, Non-calcified plaque has never really been quantified, and this indeed can do it. A number of questions that you typically also look at, what else can computers do? And uh, we've been using a CAD system for a number of years, and the goal of a CAD system, of course, is can computer analysis software help you provide better analysis interpretation of cardiac CT? Perhaps it could become the second reader, Can it provide measurable endpoints for quality of your CCTA practice? On this product by Arcadia, they claim that it automatically detects suspected significant stenosis, meaning 50% or greater. They talk about utilization in the ER setting, accelerating patient triage, and results generated with no interaction. And we've been using it, and again, I use it as a second reader, and I think it is very helpful. The workflow is simple. The patient scan, data reconstructed, and the data gets sent automatically to the workstation uh, where the core analyzer is, and the process is automatic, and it takes about five minutes to you get the results. You can look at the results before you read your case, get some idea what's going on. Uh, the process is simple, and I won't go through it, but what it's doing is automatic identification and segmentation of the large structures, and then it identifies the coronary arteries, It then tracks the vessels, extracts vessel center lines, automatically filters the extracted tree and labels the major coronary vessels, then stretches out that sort of curved planar reconstruction, looks at each vessel, looks for the presence of stenosis, again, 50% or greater, and the results have been good. Here was the first article by Arnaldi compared... uh, with QCA, the automatic detection algorithm evaluated had relatively high accuracy for diagnosing significant stenosis. If used as a second reader, the high negative predictive value may further enhance the confidence of excluding significant stenosis based on a normal or near normal CTA. And again, uh, when the machine errors, it tends to error overcalling. it tends to err in the presence of calcification, it tends also to err when the study is not of great quality. So it is really a good way of looking at studies in the sense if the um, system does not work on the study, it may not be a quality study. Another article by Halpern talked about uh, uh, the technique false positive automated interpretations related to anatomic and image quality considerations. And uh, they had a very good result. Sensitivity 92%, specificity 70%, negative predictive value of 97%, positive was only 48%. The uh, computer agree with the expert interpretation in 75% of patients. So it was indeed good. Their errors uh, uh, were related predominantly to calcified vessels, blurred vessels, and things like myocardial bridging. Now, it's important to recognize that there have been several new versions of the software where actually it's improving. And it's kind of simple. Here's how the process looks. I've blocked out the names of the patient. Uh, Normal is green. So in this patient we picked, it's green. Red means it's abnormal, so you can see here the left main was abnormal. Sometimes you really can't evaluate the vessels because of calcification or motion. And that would be in blue, so it's pretty simple. And then you then attach it to your PACS system and sends the report to your PAC system. Uh, you can see it on your workstation as well. So in this case it showed that it was a normal study. So I can look at it either on the workstation or on the PACS system. And again, here you can see it had some abnormalities. And just to show you one example, 60 year old female with chest pain, history of under 50% stenosis on a calf several years earlier. Here's some of the axial views, and here's some of the curved planar I generated, which shows the stenosis in the proximal uh, LAD with dense calcification. Here it is in cross-section. Okay, so looks to me a greater than 50% stenosis. And here's the report the computer, it showed the left main LED to be abnormal. Here's the area it showed to be abnormal. Here's some of the images it generated for the LED and for the circ and for the right coronary artery. So again, it was very much helpful because it agreed with what I said. So uh, again, there's no downside. It takes no additional time on your part, so it can be very helpful. As I mentioned, limitations, poor image quality, uh, at times screws up with this coronary artery anomalies. It tends to get lost or overcall the presence of disease. Uh, with very dense calcifications, it can be problematic. And occasionally, like everything, it just fails. And so for us, I use it as a second reader. We use it for quality control. And we're looking whether or not it can help with resident or fellow training. Okay, very good for that. Now, I mentioned about um, calcified plaque. We talk about quantification, and scoring. How do you quantify non-calcified plaque? That would be very important because particularly if you're going to follow patients over time, particularly with medication, it's something you might want to be looking at. Well, there is no... Agustin equivalent for non-calcified plaque at the current time. There's no validated approach to quantify non-calcified plaque. As mentioned in this article by Shujif, and that was 2008, and the same thing is true today. But calcified plaque becomes very important. Here's a coronary CTA, we're pulling out the vessels, here's vessel segmentation, you can see in the proximal right coronary artery, you see the non-calcified plaque present, which causes a bit less than 50% stenosis, but you'd love to be able to quantify that plaque and that's something I think you're going to see in the near term. I mentioned this work by day is going in that direction. But at this point, we're able to at least define the presence of non-calcified plaque, talk about extent, though we can't give a magic number. As I mentioned, different computer programs are trying to do this. Um, Again, it's not been very successful in quantifying, but computer analysis will indeed become very, very important. Now, in terms of plaque volume, Again, it becomes very important to have this reproducibility. Uh, This article by Hoffman makes the point that variations of relative differences decrease with increasing mean plaque volume, which means that when there's less plaque, it tends to be more difficult. Same thing article by Chen. For smaller plaques, volume quantification remains challenging. So it's indeed going to be a problem. Again, I think with better quality scans, dual source, for example, but software really needs to be developed to really optimize the technique. And I think um, you will see that coming along. Again, it is a challenge to do that, but I think you will see it coming along. Um, This article by Sosa speaks about some of those challenges. And again, Day is the one study to date that compares things with Ivis non-calcified plaque, and really showed close to a one-to-one correlation. Last thing I'll comment on, a question that always comes up, usually from non-radiologists, if a cardiac CT is ordered through a coronary artery disease, do we need to look at the extra cardiac findings? And how often do you find extra cardiac findings in a cardiac CT? Well, we published an article about this, Uh, we look carefully at these patients and Karen Horton and I read the studies so there's very little overread. but you can see nearly 10% of patients had something that was important and typically you're looking at lung nodules and the numbers were 7.8% and we made it clear back in nearly a decade ago you have to look at the entire examination other articles Haller found very similar things again major and minor findings But there were cancers detected, as were pulmonary emboli. Gill made the same point. Essential that radiologists review the scans for abnormalities and structures other than the coronary arteries. Johnson, a bit more recently, talked about numbers. 23.7% had additional findings. Again, and 16% of these, you needed to actually work the patient up. Colleen made the point that if the extracardiac structures are not analyzed, alternative causes of the patient's symptoms may go undetected or of even greater concern, treatable asymptomatic malignancies may be overlooked. Remember that the important thing is uh, we've seen from lung cancer screening studies, the average age for patients getting lung cancer incidentally detected is in the 50s and 60s, which is the typical age when you're doing cardiac CT. So, question. If we need to look at the extracardiac portions of the examination, do we need to look at the entire field of view? Again, uh, you know, if you only have the targeted field of view, I remember a couple years back, one manufacturer tried to wipe out the patient's lung fields. If you look at the... um, only the targeted views, you get about one-third of the lung volume. If you reconstruct the full field of view and you've scanned the full field of view already, it's about 70% of the lung, so it's twice as much. And you'll find, obviously, you're going to find more nodules if you look at the entire lung. Norton, viewing of cardiac CT scans only at limited field of view can result in missing more than two-thirds of nodules greater than a centimeter and more than 80% of nodules smaller than one centimeter. Um, Kim's article more recently, prevalence of lung cancer at cardiac CT was 0.3% and 68% of these malignancies were at a resectable stage. Use of a limited field of view led to a large majority of the lung cancers detected at full thoracic scanning being missed. Thus, inclusion of the entire chest at cardiac CT is advisable. Again, you need to do what's right for the patient. Kim, again, is essential that the entire imaging data set, including full field of view images, be evaluated at cardiac CT. No ifs, ands, or buts. And again, you are going to miss. Serious diagnoses were missed with the limited viewing approach, but use of the broad viewing approach led to more workup and follow-up imaging. That is going to be the cost. Now, there was a recent article, a pro and con in radiology. And, uh, Charlie White took the con, uh, Jay Earls took the pro. And again, talking about what needs to be done, Charlie White said, you you know, for example, you need to look at the images, look at the lung fields, but it's not clear. You need to do a full field of view, um, his comment, while there was no obvious harm in reconstructing a full field of view on the basis of logistical considerations and current practice patterns, it appears equally justifiable to use a full field of view restricted to the heart. Jay Earle said, reviewing reconstructed f- large full field of views for cardiac CT examination has potential to benefit patients by early detection of unsuspected disease and concluded basically... All cardiac CT studies should be reconstructed at maximum field of view and images should be adequately reviewed by a qualified thoracic reader to detect pathologic findings that these large field of views detect increased number of clinically important findings. So again, I think Charlie White argued for the sake of arguing in that editorial um, Again, at Maryland, they do full field of view, to make the point. So again, you really need to do full field of view. You need to look at it. Maybe the best thing is this Coletti talking about incidental findings. We may debate whether to perform an imaging exam. However, once the exam is performed, the noblest approach is to view and evaluate all available data, to apply appropriate judgment, and to proceed in the best interest in the patient and society. And I'll put that quote up again proceed in the best interest of the patient and that's what we need to do and so in the best interest of the patient review the entire data set by someone qualified to read the data set any findings that need immediate attention a follow-up should be sent to the responsible referring physician the radiologist may need to make certain that the recommendations are considered and follow up in a reasonable time frame eight millimeter nodule versus a five millimeter nodule versus a 1.5 millimeter 1.5 centimeter nodule again think about Fleischner criteria, lack of follow up, ignoring the radiology report. <clears throat> lack of follow up, ignoring the radiology report is not considered an accepted treatment arm. Again, uh, another article and many articles in this subject. Primary results of our study reveal the burden of angiographic disease detected by CTA provides both independent and incremental value in predicting all cause mortality in symptomatic patients were independent of age, gender, risk factors, and coronary artery calcification. So again, the importance of looking at things. I think one of the things we've looked at in terms of coronary CT, and we've discussed, it really does work. Every article focuses on this 99% negative predictive value. The high positive predictive value, uh, again shown in this article by Budoff, Shown also in this article by Miller. Again, focusing on the negative predictive value. Remember, I started this lecture talking about one third of cats are positive, two thirds are negative. We need to have a better screening method. Cardiac CT is just perfect for that. Dave Dow, a couple years ago, made the p- point for the first time it is possible to image the wall of the coronary arteries non invasively to assess plaque burden, characterize plaque, and assess the degree of stenosis. And it was his opinion that screening will be done one day, just like we do calcium scoring. As dose goes down, and we're getting it down to one millisievert now, it will be something that may be routinely done, maybe at age 50, maybe at age 40. Same journal, uh, Black makes the point, although we do not believe that population screening will ever be cost effective, it could become a valuable research tool for determining which interventions will be. Uh, Dave Levin, evidence in the literature suggests that both invasive coronary angiography and myocardial perfusion imaging are overutilized, where coronary CTA is probably underutilized. And again, in the emergency room setting makes the point that it is really an ideal study. So hopefully what I've done is I've come sort of full circle. We've told you how to use coronary CT, how to do the study, what you might expect to see, what the results can be, why it's important, how you need to analyze everything on the data set, and conclude it with some very good results showing you how helpful it is. So in saying that, if you're doing cardiac CT, keep up the good work. If you're not doing it, perhaps reconsider and take a stab at it. It's a bit painful at first, there's a learning curve. You need to really train the technologists and the nurses. It's a team approach, but I think at the end, it'll be worthwhile. And with that, see you next time.